0: Welcome to the 26th episode of Vienna Jewcast, the first Jewish podcast in Vienna. My name is Anja Marlenchik, and today you're going to hear an interview I recently had with the US writer and journalist Sam Apple about his book Schlepping Through the Alps and also about his new work Ravenous. Enjoy the episode! Hi, Sam. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining me.
1: Hi, thanks for having me on.
0: You published a new book, Revenus, last year, which is about a Jewish cancer researcher, Otto Warburg, who left behind a huge scientific legacy, and I definitely want to come back to that later. But I'd like to start with another book of yours that I discovered in December. I actually got it as a birthday present. We're talking about Schlepping through the Alps my search for Austria's Jewish past with its last wandering shepherd. In this book, you wrote about meeting Hans Breuer, a wandering Austrian shepherd who's also a Yiddish folk singer, and how you joined him in Austria about 20 years ago. You spent several months with Hans, his 600 sheep, and his, well, let's call it a patchwork family. How did you decide to go on this eccentric journey?
1: Um, Well, I um, first heard about Hans uh, when I was living in in New York City. And uh, he had, uh, uh, I guess his background, I should mention that he he also sings Yiddish folk songs. And uh, so he had come to Canada and the United States uh, with a Yiddish group and and was singing and, you know, working with klezmer musicians. And so I, I got a Uh, I heard actually from a friend who was on an email list of a Yiddish group that uh, a wandering shepherd was gonna be singing in Yiddish. That's really all I knew and sounded too good to pass up. Uh, So yeah, I went and and heard him perform. And then uh, I was doing a little freelance journalism at the time, so I asked him if I could write about him for uh, the Jewish Daily Forward, uh, the English and, and famous Yiddish newspaper. Um, so I wrote a, a short piece about him, but as I spoke to him on that day, uh, you know, I was amazed by his story. You know, it sounded too good to be true in a lot of ways, but it was, it was true to my amazement. And, you know, he told me about his background in Austria and how his you know family had been involved in, in Austrian politics and anti-fascist movements and, and on and on. And, you know, I was just amazed and, um. Fortunately, you know, it was a big project, but fortunately at the time I was, uh, in a graduate writing program. And so, you know, I was also thinking about what sort of big project I might take on. So, you know, I asked Hans if I could come to Austria and and travel with him. And he, uh, you know, he didn't seem to have to think twice about it. He said, sure, you know, come, come on. So that was it.
0: So you spent a few months in Austria and then. What was the pro- writing process like and how, how long did it take to write a book in the end, all in all?
1: Yeah, it took me about three years uh, after that trip, really, to put it all together, uh, in part because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> um, it was my, my first book, my first really big project. Yeah. So I took a lot of notes while I was there. But um, you know when I came back, I had to take all those notes and, and create a narrative in it. And I do think that, um, you know, it shouldn't have taken me that long because it's not a super long book. But on the other hand, I do think that, um, you know, having three years to sort of process everything, and it allowed me to tell the story in in a more efficient way. Uh, You know, I teach writing now and I always tell my students, it's very hard to write about things that just happened because your brain hasn't had time to sort of synthesize and form a narrative. So the fact that I'm sort of slow probably helps me.
0: I'm going to read a quote to make this a little bit more visual for, for our listeners. I watched him in silence for a moment. Then I told him that journalists didn't usually have their subjects iron their suits. Hans didn't see the humor. It's okay, he said. Now when I say goodnight to you, the Yiddish words "schlof gesund, stay auf gesund, I feel a little bit like your son to me. It was outrageous. I had only really known the guy for a few weeks but that was Hans and I knew he meant it so there are many passages like this in the book and um, it's it's very personal and it feels like a very close look at Hans life at that time but also at your own life and maybe some sort of identity search Um, I was really wondering when I read it if parts of it are fictional like there are some chapters where you can see that you're you know, like your dreams or your imagining different scenarios. But did you make up some characters also or change the names and places?
1: Uh, no, it's it's all non-fiction. The only part that that's fictional is the part that, you know, I clearly make known as fictional by putting in italics and, you know, sewing it as like a daydream. But uh, other than that, it you know, it's all it's all nonfiction. Um, you know, sometimes, I guess the, the only fictional thing is, you know, sometimes when you're out in, you know, with the sheep and I don't have my tape recorder on and I can't remember word for word the dialogue, but, you know, I was taking notes. So it's it's pretty, pretty close.
0: How was, how did Hans actually, and also other characters or people you spend a lot of time with, um, how was it for them that you shared such a personal personal story of their life? With a book, like a
1: real story. Uh, yeah, I mean Hans. I don't think minded. He, you know, is a very open person and a performer. Um, it is, you know, it is hard when you're writing fiction or nonfiction, you know, to to see yourself in print. And uh, I'm always very conscious of, uh, you know, making sure that. I, I present people in a in a way that's accurate and fair but uh it's you know it can be delicate
0: but how was this um it's interesting that you think of it as a as a nonfiction book because i found it more like a it's like a combination of both because you're sharing a lot of your personal opinions and and feelings and emotions and it's very personal so yeah it's i don't know i also read some reviews saying um It's a novel, it's a a journey, you know, what, what genre is it really like?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I guess, you know, I mean, it's certainly nonfiction. I mean, it's important to me that it's presented as nonfiction because, you know, it's a, it's an account of what I do and I'm talking about, you know, serious historical stuff. So I don't want it to seem like fiction certainly, but, um, you know, there, there's different kinds of nonfiction. There's like, you know, Ravenous, the book I wrote recently is, is totally different. I'm not in the book at all. But this, uh, you know, this is more, you know, more in the realm of memoir, you know, kind of personal nonfiction. So, you know, I don't know how popular memoirs are are in Austria, but you know, here it's a, a pretty big trend, and you know, a lot of nonfiction books are these first person narratives. So, you know, I think what made it a little unusual is I tried to combine that with the the journalism and the history, and, and you know, certainly other other writers do that, but um, you know, maybe maybe what made it unusual is that. Um, you know, this persona of me that I presented, which is me, but, you know, it's, it's still, I like to think of a persona. You know, some people have read the book and are surprised that I'm even a functional <laughs> human being because I sound so neurotic. Um, but, um, you know, combining that sort of neurotic voice with the serious history, I guess, is, is somewhat unusual, but but it's certainly nonfiction.
0: Interesting. Um, how, was, how was the book actually received in the US, um, given that it takes place in Austria and it's might be hard to understand for someone who has no connection to Austria or no, no knowledge on Austrian politics. So I would be interested in how, what reactions you got from the US audience.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, mostly positive. Um, you know, uh, I was so sort of immersed in the story and immersed in Austrian history and politics that It sort of, I had to, it dawned on me only like after it came out that not everybody is is as interested in Austria as I am, Um, but, um, you know, people, uh, I think, um, you know, some people read it for the history and the Austrian politics and the Holocaust element and and other people were more interested in, in, you know, my personal voice and, you know, what I I hope is is humor in the book, but, um, you know, I, I think the the harshest critiques came from people that just, you know, thought that my neurotic persona was, was too much, uh, you know. Yeah, some people find it funny. Other people, I think one reviewer on Amazon said like a, like a wise book written by an adolescent personality or <laughs> something like that. So, you know, you can't please everybody. But, but I was, I was a young guy at the time. So, you know, I don't think I would, well, maybe I would, but, you know, some of the, some of the humor might not come off in the same way now as you said, it,
0: the book is, was published in 2005. So that's quite a while ago. If you wrote the book again now, um, what would you do differently? Would your approach be different in some way?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, I haven't gone back and reread it in, in a very long time, in part because doing so kind of makes me feel anxious. And yeah, I know that I would find all these different lines and like, uh, I, um, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And, um, I think that, uh, I'm now, you know, after working on Ravenous, certainly I I think I have a better sense of how to write about history and I learned how to do archival research. So I I wish in retrospect that I had done a little more depth with respect to, you know, the history of Austria in in the 1930s and forties. And, um, yeah, I think I could have added more substance, but um, you know, <laughs> this is yeah, you know, sort of an idiosyncratic thing. But one thing that always gets me is uh, you know, I go to a synagogue on the high holidays, and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and every year I see this uh, a prayer known as Unetane Tokef. I don't know if you're familiar with that, and I remember thinking about it. I think at the at the time, and for some reason. I didn't include it in the book or mention it, but it would have been such a perfect thing for me to write about because it's this very dramatic prayer, which, you know, uses the imagery of a shepherd counting his sheep um, and talks about, you know, all the different ways we might die. And it really affected me throughout my childhood thinking about that prayer and it sort of perfectly captures all the themes of the book. And I didn't mention it once and I I can't believe that I didn't. I don't know why I didn't. Uh, So that that gets me, that could have been a whole, that could have been the key to the book if I had only talked about Unatana Tokish. But um, uh, in any case, yeah, I'm sure I would change a thousand things and do things differently. I, you know, I really, I I think every writer, at least I, whenever I start a, a big project, I always feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but it was especially true that time because, you know, it was my first book. And, you know, like, as you mentioned, I included these, daydreams like you know what were what those doing in there was, <laughs> I don't know but uh, you know I was just sort of doing whatever I felt like
0: so when you started off a journey when you came to Austria did you already know that you're going to write a book in the end or was it just you were taking notes at recordings and
1: uh I think I was secretly hoping but I didn't know if it would work out you know I, I figured that if nothing else I'd be able to turn it in as my thesis for graduate school but you know my hope was sort it would become a book
0: in several chapters, um, especially towards the end of the book, you describe how you anticipated to find this hardcore anti-Semitism in Austria. Um, and most of the time you seem to fail to find this in a in a radical form that you were looking for. Why was this search so important for you? And also the other part of the question, do you think that this still applies to young Jewish people in the US? The, that they might have this image of Austria, um, in their heads.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, what, what I discovered is that, um, you know, a lot of young Jews think about Germany in this way, not necessarily, you know, Austria, they lump them together as I probably did before I really started thinking about this. But, um, you know, I, I did at the time and think a lot about why, why I was so focused on antisemitism I and mean, part of it was for, for all the right reasons, if you will, is that, um, you know, it's still by historical standards, a relatively, you know, short period since the Holocaust. And, you know, at the time I went, it was just as the, uh, the Freedom Party, the FPO was coming onto the scene in a big way and had formed a government. So it was really quite shocking at the time. Uh, seems less, much less shocking now, sadly. Um, uh so you know it's important for me to understand you know how how this party that was you know founded by a nazi could suddenly be in the government i I couldn't believe it but at the same time i was also wrestling with you know questions that i think all jews have to wrestle with today uh questions about do we want to form a jewish identity that's entirely based around a reaction to anti-semitism and i think that um you know so much of jewish education today is based around the Holocaust and anti-Semitic stories, which, you know, that, that should be taught, but that shouldn't be, I think, the full basis of of one's Jewish identity. Um, and so, you know, I was wrestling with some of that and in, in coming to the realization that I I was so intent on, on finding, you know, sort of rabid anti-Semites that I was actually disappointed when I, when I didn't find them. Uh, and I have no doubt that they were there. I didn't find them because people don't Go up to you on the street and then introduce themselves as rabid anti-Semites and, and i did actually meet that one guy mm-hmm. which I, I mentioned at the end who, who came fairly close um but um yeah it was it was um you know an important lesson for me i think or important insight that uh you know, realizing that uh i you know i was in some ways disappointed to not to not find an anti-Semite
0: did you get some reactions from Austria, like from Austrian media,
1: or? Um, yeah, I mean, it got some uh, some nice reviews, and uh, overall, uh, I believe I'm not exactly sure, but I believe the um, the German edition of the book uh, sold more copies than the English edition, uh, you know, mostly in Germany, just because it's a bigger audience. Uh, but you know, did quite well in, in Germany and. Uh, went into, uh, you know, multiple printings and whatnot. So that, you know, that was certainly a, a pleasant surprise. And not, I don't know if this is still true, but I remember at the time it was true that uh, a lot of Jewish musicians actually, like Klezmer musicians were more popular in Germany than in the US. So it may have been part of that trend as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was overall quite pleased with the reaction.
0: I was wondering if Hans is actually still a wandering shepherd?
1: Um, he's still a shepherd, no longer wandering. Um, he, uh, still has sheep, but, uh, I guess it became too much to, to keep moving all the time. But, um, he, uh, he's, he's amazingly unchanged, uh, in some ways. I, I marvel at it. He's on Facebook now. And if you go online, you could even find this at, at the time when a lot of immigrants were, uh, coming through Austria. Hans was, uh quote-unquote, shepherding them, uh, uh, you know, doing, I think, illegal sort of caravans, bringing immigrants into the country, you know, which is very much in keeping with his politics and his belief. But there's a wonderful video online of, I think, these you know, Muslim immigrants who Hans is driving in his van and Hans is teaching them to sing Yiddish songs and they're laughing together. So uh, he's still doing interesting things. And, um, you know, I, I haven't seen him in many years, but I'd like to go visit again and... Hang out in Austria. Well, yeah, I haven't been back since the book came oh, out. so that's pretty much twenty years. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah.
0: But since you mentioned um, that Hans has been like helping refugees and um, you know engaging in in social work and so on, uh, there, there's uh, the film. The film came out about him in like a few years ago. A refugee Lullaby. Oh yeah.
1: yeah. Oh yeah. So you so you know about all this.
0: I haven't managed yeah. to watch it, but uh, yeah. It's, I found it online, I was like, are do you think connected in some way? Like, do you think that would, the film would be there if you hadn't
1: written the book? Uh, I don't think it's connected at all, but, you know, may, maybe the filmmakers had read the book. I don't know.
0: It would be interesting to know. I'll talk to the filmmaker yeah. next time.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, uh, who knows?
0: So for those of our listeners who at this point are convinced that they want to read Schlepping for the Alps, and I hope that everyone is, um, as you mentioned, there is a German translation available, and the title is similar, Schlepping durch die Alpen, and etwas anderes Reisebuch. And I'll include some links in the show notes um, to make it easier to find. And at this point, I would like to know more about your new book, Revenus, Otto Warburg, The Nazis, and the Search for the Cancer Diet Connection. It tells the story of Otto Warburg, who was one of the first and most important and prominent cancer researchers of of that time. What fascinated you so much as to write four hundred pages on this topic?
1: Um, yeah, it's a, a good question. I just whenever you know I hear a German word or a German name out of your mouth, it sounds so much better. It's nice. It's nice to hear. Not but, even a uh, native speaker. But
0: <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> well, compared to me, I mean, I, my, my claim to fame is that I've now written two books about Germans without really, you know, being much of a German speaker at all. So, uh, you know, it's, I never imagined that that, that would happen. I think it's somewhat of a coincidence, but I mean, not entirely a coincidence because both books deal with the Jewish past and the Holocaust. But, um, you know, in this case, uh, in the years after writing and schlepping through the Alps, I became interested in, in nutrition and, um, you know particularly, you know, how our the metabolism of, of our body and our diets, you know, impacts disease. And, you know, there might be a little bit of a connection to schlepping through the Alps and that you can hear that I'm nervous about, you know, certain diseases. But, you know, it became a much more serious and intellectual thing and less of a neurotic thing over the years. Um, and so I was interested in, in, you know, cancer as a metabolic disease, but wasn't really planning to write about it until I discovered this Otto Warburg, who, uh, you know, is this extraordinary scientist who um, lived through the Nazi years and was protected by the Nazis because they believed he was on the path to to curing cancer. Uh, so I, I was really fascinated by his story. And uh, like Hans, Warburg was, you know, a real eccentric and a fascinating personality. So, uh, you know, that's what really draws me to his story is when I had a great character. So you
0: centered this whole book also around his... His personality, basically, or his his work, and
1: yeah, yeah, it's sort of you know one part biography and one part uh, you know science history. So instead of you know being a character myself, I put Orberg's <laughs> uh, life in there.
0: And what responses to the book have you seen in the U.S. Um, or other parts of the wo- other parts of the world so far?
1: Um, yeah, so far the, re- the response has been quite nice. Um, you know, it, uh, as I look at the sort of metabolic roots of cancer, I, I come to the conclusion at the end that, uh, you know, a big part of the problem is sugar. Uh, when I say sugar, I don't mean blood sugar. I mean like the sweet white stuff, sucrose that we eat. And uh, so that, that message, you know, there's a lot of people that, that really respond to that and, believe this is an important message. So they've supported the book online and I've been quite quite happy with the reaction uh, all over the world. The one thing I have to admit I'm uh, disappointed in is that um, I had thought because, you know, schlepping through the Alps did well in German, and this is a book about German a uh, German and German history that they would be translated to German, but uh, I'm, I'm still awaiting Uh, that phone call or email or whatever so you know I hope it'll be in German one day but uh, it hasn't happened
0: oh it's quite a it's quite a big book you know 400 pages um but it's not been so so long yet so I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it's gonna be translated very soon um
1: yeah yeah but um it is it is available you know in, in Germany the English edition
0: in English edition, right? Not in and,
1: yeah, in, in Austria too, I assume. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I got a Kindle edition because it was I wanted to have it right away. So, um, so that's uh, also thanks. an option. And this is one question that writers usually maybe don't like to hear so soon after the new pub- after the publication has been out. But are you working on something new at the moment
1: already? Um, I am. I I don't. Um, I don't know what will come of it, but I, I am uh, working on a, uh, a Jewish-themed novel at the moment. Um, yeah, I've, I've written fictional short stories before, but never a, a full-length novel, and uh, decided to uh, yeah to see if I can do it. But uh, I may give up. But uh, I do have some ideas for for other projects, and um, you know, more related to history and nutrition. Uh, one thing I am intent on is whatever I book I write next. Assuming I write one, I, I will not require me to know German because I can't. I can't go through that again. Uh, it was a you know such a struggle to to deal with all this source material and you know, a lot of it not only in German but like in 19th century German. Um, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's also I, I'm mostly uh, you know I'm teaching writing now, so that that's my number one focus.
0: There would be one more question that I usually ask people um, at the end of the show: is if you have a, a special wish for the Jewish community. It usually I ask people, obviously for about Jewish community in Vienna or Austria. Maybe you have a a, a wish or a hope for a Jewish community worldwide or in the US. Uh,
1: a wish for for the Jewish community. That's. It's an interesting question. I I, um, I guess um, you know I, I'm I'm trying to think about if I have a wish that's specific for the Jewish community as as opposed to a wish for you know the world or or humanity. Uh, I would say a a Jewish specific wish. Uh, you know, I, I guess you know it sounds like a cliche and maybe not that interesting, but, you know, the uh, divisions within the Jewish community are are as strong as ever in the United States. You know, there's already great divisions between the secular and the reform and conservative and Orthodox, but these have been only exacerbated by the political divisions. Uh, So, you know, I I certainly wish for, you know, greater sort of communal unity and and, and togetherness. Uh, I think that would uh, probably be number one.
0: I think that's a very nice wish to wrap up. Is there anything else you would like to add to your books or to general the public in Austria?
1: Um, no, just because, you know, has came out relatively recently. I, I am uh, mostly promoting that these days. So, um, you know, people are, are interested, um, you know, they can uh, learn more about that um, online, I guess.
0: Thank you for your time and for joining me on Vienna to Cast today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I'm flattered to be invited and I'm happy that the podcast exists. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. If you like the episode, please follow Vienna Ducast on Spotify or any other podcast platform. I'm always happy to get feedback or new ideas. Stay tuned. Shabbat shalom.